everybody. Tim and Mike here. We are excited uh, to continue our conversation in the Sermon on the Mount. We are not excited that the topic today strikes a little too close to home. And so we're both feeling kind of heavy um, about it just because I think we could spend the whole, or at least I could spend, I shouldn't speak for Timothy, I could spend the whole um, hour just sort of confessing. <laughs> this has been a, this is, this, this is an issue that got in early in my life and has stayed. And um, man, I certainly do not come at this as someone who um, has it all figured out. And so I, I think we're going to, we're going to, we're going to just go right to the text. We're going to walk through the text and then we're going to consider some implications um, but, uh, you know, this is one of those teachings that isn't super hard to understand. It's, it's, that's the problem. <laughs> not super hard to understand, but not talked about a whole lot. Yes, 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 yes. So, um, uh, uh, we have a text reader today and, um, he's gonna, he's gonna plow through the text for us and then we'll join you in just a second. heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Ah, the voice of an angel. Um, <laughs> that's our friend. That's our friend Brandon, and uh, so thank you for that. So yeah, this one, this one. Um, remember, Jesus. What Jesus is doing is. He is not abolishing the law and the prophets. He is um, showing there and revealing there and embodying their true meaning. He is walking, talking Torah. Um, he is reminding us that the, the, the least and the lightest commands are seen to, to be equivalent to the heavy commands uh, in the Torah. So he's showing us a method of interpretation and he is undercutting the whole pharisaical project of righteousness uh, and how they understood righteousness and how they emphasized it. And so he's doing just a whole heck of a lot. Um, we looked last episode at uh, at least the one we did on Sermon on the Mount on, um, on anger and no relevance there. This one's on lust. So no relevance here either. So he starts in verse 27, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. That, of course, is one of the 10 uh, commandments. And um, adultery back in the day, there was, a, there was a, uh, a double standard about it in the sense that adultery was considered sexual relations between a married or a betrothed woman and a man other than her husband or betrothed. All right. Uh, infidelity today is, um, or adultery today is infidelity by either spouse. But back then, um, 
a man could have sexual relations with someone who was divorced, someone who was a prostitute, or someone who was otherwise unmarried, unengaged. And wow. uh, that was frowned upon, but um, it was permitted under the law. And, and in fact, there was a test that was only applied to women in the book of Numbers about whether or not she'd committed adultery. So, so adultery really had to do with the violation of your male neighbor's rights. Because to it was theft of of your male neighbor's property. All right, um, so it was. It's an interesting. We think of adultery as any sort of cheating and fidelity. There, it it had a bit of a edge to it that um, um, we're not super comfortable with. And and there was certainly it certainly introduced a double standard that we're going to come around at later. Um, and there are reasons why this was written into the law and there were provisions about if you did have if you if you did um have sexual relations with a virgin you were obligated to marry and provide for them i mean there were other things going on but just the the classic understanding of adultery was primarily focused on the violation of the husband or the betrothed's rights and property and um and so anyway that's just that's yeah that's wonderful um, so he quotes, obviously, one of the Ten Commandments. It's, it's certainly heavy. But then he says, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, um, the, the, the light command here is actually another of the Ten Commandments, the prohibition against coveting. Coveting's mm. tough to measure unless you act on it. So it was considered one of the lighter of the Ten Commandments um, by some because you couldn't really measure it. Murder, obviously, you could tell. Violating the Sabbath, you could tell. Coveting your neighbor's wife or property, it was a different thing. And so because Jesus is, is using the, the classic understanding of adultery as theft, he equates it to the idea of coveting. And the, the, in, when Jesus is quoting here, he's quoting from the Greek version of the Hebrew Bible called the Septuagint. And the word for covet in the, the, the commandment, you shall not covet, is the same word he uses here for lust. So you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Um, he says, in essence, he says, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman in order to covet her has committed mm. adultery in his heart. So, so we think of lust as sexual desire. Um, Jesus is, is talking about lust in a, in a slightly different way. It's the act of coveting something that's uh, forbidden to you. It's not just desiring it, but it's pursuing it. It's acting upon it. So it's not just sexual desire, as we'll see. Jesus doesn't condemn sexual desire. But it's it's the orientating of the will towards acting upon something and pursuing it when it's forbidden to you. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. We're going to get to that in a second. Um, It's... And the word lust here, uh, that is also translated covet, is um, it's not an exclusively negative word. It just it, it often refers to strong desire. Jesus will even use this word when he talks about, like, I have wanted to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. He uses that same Greek word, um, and it's used other places in the New Testament. So he so, uses the word for lust in the 
in the place of wanting to dine with is that is that what you were yes yeah okay yeah 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 so it's not just a negative so so okay so we we hear the word lust in english and we think sex lust is strong desire and in in jesus's day seemed to be framed around coveting which was not just desiring someone but turning your will so that you began to act on that desire even if you didn't fulfill the desire all the way it's as if you committed it in your heart because you'd already given your heart permission to pursue it is are the things like the seven deadly sins or whatever like when lust you know i think that a lot of our I mean, you know, in youth group, that's a big, bold four-letter word that's <laughs> that's posted on the wall of like, yes, you know, there's you all these little not. demons and there's yes. like, there's the lust demon that's coming to entice you. Yes. Um, is that, do you know, I'm just, I'm, we're, I'm taking you off your notes. We're going well, that's all right. I'm actually on bit. notes because this is so tricky and it's easy to be misunderstood. I well, tell you co- what. Is it that the same thing with that? Is that more the coveting? Do you know if that translates? Well, let me... I, I think I'm going to answer that in a, in like another section. All right, stay tuned. So, <laughs> so this is this is really confusing because yes, um, our our typical understanding of lust as um, a sexual desire or gazing upon someone in order to sexually desire them. <sighs> that isn't as that isn't exactly what the text seems to be talking about. There's this orienting that's over and above the desiring of the will. It's a will word. It's not a desire word. Hmm. And um, it's like theft. You know, it's like, when have you committed theft? Is it at the point you wanted to commit theft or when right. you reached out, when you began to reach out? Yeah. And and because Jesus is not saying that adultery in the heart and real adultery are the same thing. He's not saying that even remotely. Because I've That's also big. heard, I've also heard that, like, well, if I've committed adultery in the heart, might as well enjoy the sex. <laughs> right. And, <laughs> yeah, right. That is that is so not what he's doing. So I'm well, trying. Just the heaviness of saying that the that committing it in your mind or your heart is the same as. I mean, that's the, what I grew up under. Yeah, and that's not what he's saying at all. Right. Uh, the the best way I can try to describe it is that lusting and coveting are action words. They're not. Right. They're, now that includes attitudinal words, right? So, so if I am looking at someone in order to covet them, yeah, that's what Jesus is ruling out. Yeah, but it's a will word. It's not just being attracted to somebody. It's not just having sexual yeah. feelings for somebody who's not your yeah. spouse. It's not. It's not being horny. I mean that. Right. It, none of that. But but I grew up lusting was any sexual thoughts about anybody. Yeah. And oh, that's, that's just not what that's not what he's talking about here. All right. So um because Jesus is is tying covet coveting into adultery. What he's doing and it's so freaking brilliant is he's removing the double standard. So from the previous understanding from the previous of- understanding of adultery. Genius. See, this is what he's doing. <laughs> so he's not, he doesn't care if it's your neighbor's property, right? You're sinning against her. Yeah. By, by coveting her, right? So he's, he's going after that double standard that existed in the previous understanding, which is freaking awesome. And we're going to talk more about that. All right. So Stay tuned. 
Yes, and 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 I got to be honest. I mean, this stuff I spent I don't know 30 40 hours on this. I mean, this is it's so there's so much debate here and the words are super precise and some of them are kind of muddy and and um others are really precise. And so it's just a hard it, it it's so misunderstood in Christian culture. And yet I kind of know when I'm covening my neighbor's wife or, hmm. you know, my neighbor's anything, right? I mean, there's, it's kind of like the definition of pornography, right? I don't, I can't define it, but I know it when I see it. <laughs> and uh, that was the Supreme Court's definition back in the day. And so there's a, there's a sense in which there's a whole segment of our male and female listenership that, that can be set free from the idea that horniness and I use that crass word because we, we've, because that's the word we've chosen instead of desire. Right. Um, um, my kids don't talk about it in terms of desire. They talk about it this way, you know, and right. um, and and so we're not talking about that general state of being human, where physiological things happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and biochemical <laughs> things happen because, um, we're made to be attracted and to feel, have feelings of romance and to be sexual towards each other, mm. right? That's not what we're talking about. Right. But it's that next step of turning my will and beginning to act that's the issue. Yeah. Now, that act could be continued gazing. Right. Right? That yeah. act could be text messaging. That act could be, you know, seemingly innocent flirtation. Right? right, it's the justification that I've used of just well, I'm not having an affair, so it's okay. Right, Jesus is ruling all of that out, and he's putting the onus on the men to do this, and that has massive ramifications in a second. Now, <laughs> uh, so when he says, um, when he says, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully, again, this is this is covet language. So he's saying the light and the heavy commands here. Just like he did with anger and murder, right? It's not the same to be angry and to murder, vastly different consequences. But the heart posture where murder begins is anger. Hmm. And where adultery begins is coveting. That's the idea. So um, Jesus assumes the presence of sexual desire here and doesn't condemn it. It's the will. It's the act of the will upon that desire. That is what is forbidden. And, um, you know, and then, and then he says this, you know, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out right. um, and uh, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away. Um, it's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to go to hell. Now, I, I, Jesus is Jewish and he, this is what rabbis did. They exaggerated to make a point. So I pulled up an, uh, another one of the sayings um, just later, you know, codified in the Mishnah. And this is just how you would talk to make a point, right? So, so here's one about, you should always read Torah at, at uh, mealtime. All right. So the point is read Torah at mealtime. Here's, here's the like pithy saying (laughs) when three eat at one table and words of Torah are not spoken there, 
it is as if they ate at the altars of the dead, right? Nothing more unclean than that. But when three eat at one table and bring up words of Torah, it's as if they ate from the table of God. Blessed be he. Hmm. Right now, that's obviously exaggeration to make an effect. Yeah. Because Jesus has just said he's, he's worried about adultery in where? In where? Heart. Right. And do, do cutting off body parts address adultery in the heart? No. Can you still covet and be blind? You, you actually can. Can you still covet <laughs> yeah. and be handless? You actually can. Right? <laughs> And, Too many jokes involved in there, though. And if Jesus were going to recommend cutting body parts off, there's one he missed that seems very important. <laughs> and so, so <laughs> this is exaggerated language to talk about the urgency, just like he did with murder, right? He did this with murder. Listen, if someone's angry with you, drop your freaking sacrifice in the temple, walk 80 miles round trip to go deal right. with it somewhere else. Right. This is just this is what he's doing. He's saying this stuff is so urgent in my kingdom. You cannot just sit and abide by it. It will devour you. It will take over your life. You have to deal with it. And he's just saying, listen, if your computer causes you to stumble, throw it away. If your yeah. phone causes you to stumble, get rid of it. Right. Whatever action you have to take to take away what's causing you to stumble. And the word here for cause, the, the, the verb that's translated cause is a verb that's also used of a trap that has bait in it. And when you grab the bait, it traps you. So, so if your right eye or right hand, now some think there's a um, reference to masturbation. I'm not, I, I'm not so sure because of the parallelism between right eye, right hand. Um, and the left hand was typically used for more hygienic issues. Um, and the right stood for dominant. So your, your, your if even your best eye and best hand caused you to sin get rid of them i think that's right. the point he's making there although some people think he's he's making a masturbation reference there i i don't know um he he maybe and i've i've read enough scholars that hit at that that it's certainly a possibility i see it i see him as just doing parallelism yeah um all right does this make sense so far Yes. Okay. <laughs> this is good. I think this is very clarifying. Uh, I hope so. It feels, uh, yeah, it feels like I'm not clear. But if you say I am, hallelujah. Oh, I think the example you gave of theft uh, is, well, for me, that was very helpful. Well, we know, Tim, that's been a struggle in your life. It has and, been. And, and, you know, taking those. nice things. Yes. But I also well, want what... my dollar dollar bills. <laughs> Listen, more money, more problems. Okay, that's just <laughs> that's, that's the truth. Um, all right, so, so, and I don't know. We're obviously goofy because this hits so close to home. Um, and so I want to look at three implications of the text and there are a couple that are obvious and then one I think is really important for our day. One, of course, is that, um, and, and this, I guess, needs to be said over and over and over again, um, sexuality is a gift. Uh, it was not meant to be a curse. 
and we experience it as a curse because it's fallen, twisted, and it's become um, um, expressed in power differentials and abuse, and it's just it's awful the way we consume and and uh, treat each other as objects. So it is an ugly, it is some of the worst that human beings do. But the Bible doesn't begin with a big no to sex. It begins with a big, yeah, be fruitful and multiply, you know, of all the ways that God could have had human beings pass on their DNA. He chose one that was really fun and mysterious. And contrary to popular belief, Jesus, Paul, um, and the, the scriptures have the highest view of sex you could have. It's not just DNA replication. It's not just animal instinct. Um, It is the commingling of souls. It is attachment. It is vulnerability. It is intimacy. It is the pleasuring of another and service to another. Um, It is fidelity. And I mean, it's it's the most beautiful things that human beings can be for each other. But as a result, it's also the worst. And so there is in the scriptures a deep deep commitment to the goodness of sexuality and here when jesus talks about it most clearly he doesn't condemn sexuality or sexual desire he just he doesn't that's not what he's condemning even remotely so sexual thoughts romantic feelings ooh, i wonder what it would be like those sorts of things yes they can veer into coveting of course but those things that just sort of fly our way and the bodily reactions that accompany them my goodness that is not bad in fact paul is so realistic he's like hey married folks please have sex regularly so that you're not too frisky Hmm. that's the mike erie translation right i mean they're very realistic (laughs) about this and, and of course, what, what religious people have done is they've weaponized these texts to sue, suppress women. And we'll talk about that in a second. Now, um, for single people, the great news is all that sexual energy is, there's no condemnation for that. You know, I, I mean, I have a 17-year-old boy, a 15-year-old girl, and man, they are brimming with romance and relationships and what's going on and how's this work. And I mean, that's awesome. Right. That's not that's not that's not shameful stuff. Seth is the best embodiment of this because Seth has no idea he should not be just walking around naked all the time. Um, You know, it's like it's well, this is part of the thing, right? This is this is a part of my body. So what's the problem? So there is not um, this condemnation uh, in um, single people for wanting sex. Um, feeling like they need to have sex. I mean, all of those sorts of things. There's not a condemnation in married people for having that be an important part of your life and working at that and having a discipline towards that. Um, and so you have to start any, uh, for me anyway, you have to start any talk of the Bible with this overcorrective towards, man, this is a gift. I mean, the, the, that it involves all of our senses that it that it that we escape out of ourselves into another i mean I, it's just it's magnificent and it's mysterious and it's beautiful and it's also the ugliest stuff that we do to each other yeah. and so of course jesus comes in and 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 talks against the commodification and objectification of people towards each other of course Right. And, and that, that, then it's not surprising then 
that the scriptures warn us um, rightly about the power of lust when it's unchecked. There is this really, uh, and this man, I, brothers and sisters who are listening, I have lived this. What Paul's going to say here, I have lived this, um, and and I can attest to the truth of all of it. Paul in Ephesians is speaking of um, what happens when desire, but he he uses words that seem to say he's indicating sexual desire specifically. He's talking about the people that did not know God. He says they're, they are darkened in their understanding and are separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Now, then he describes how their hearts become hardened. Oh, and my friends, I have lived this and I hate it. But he says, first, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality. So hmm. sensitivity is a super important word. Um, having lost sensitivity is a combination of a couple words that has to do with the condition of being void or past feeling. Void of or past feeling. So um, as, as someone who's been a, who is a bit of a glutton when it comes to food, um, there have been times when, when I'm not enjoying the meal. Right? I'm, not, I'm not sitting and enjoying how the food tastes. Right. I'm eating to comfort myself or to celebrate. Right. Or the alcoholic who may have loved the taste of liquor once, but now it's just a means to an end. When you get there, you've lost all sensitivity. When it takes right. a greater and greater hit to get you back, not even to where you started, but just almost close, right? That's what it means to having lost all sensitivity, you just no longer enjoy it. And because of that, Paul says, having lost sensitivity, you give yourself over to sensuality. Now, sensuality here is the absence of restraint and it's insatiable desire. And it's the, it's the idea that once, uh, once lust hollows you out, you have to pursue it now in ways that aren't uh, that that are different, that are odd, weird, not the norm, because you've lost sensitivity to what's normal. So the right. the classic example is the, uh, Hugh Hefner. Um, Hugh Hefner is this Playboy, you know, author of Playboy magazine and this representative of the heterosexual male straight ideal. And there was this uh, this interview that came out in the eighties or nineties. And uh, that, that it was one of his girlfriends saying, you know, that Hugh, he can no longer enjoy heterosexual sex. He's been hollowed out by it and has to watch, um, he has to masturbate to gay porn. And I thought, now, again, I don't know if that's true or not, but if it is, what an example of someone hollowing themselves out, having lost all sensitivity, they've now been given over to sensuality. Does that make sense? That yeah. now you don't even enjoy the thing that started this. Like you have to turn elsewhere. Um, and then, and then <laughs> so as to indulge, he says, every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. Now, greed here isn't money. Greed is the insatiable desire for more. So here's yeah. the picture, right? And, and for those of us men and women who are honest, whether it's drugs or whether it's food or whether it's um, sex or whether it's porn or whether it's whatever, 
We know this. We can call it the law of diminishing returns. There is a hardness of heart that takes place incrementally as you lose the ability to enjoy the gift. And as you lose that ability, you, um, you are given over then to, the, to, to having to try more and more of it or different and different kinds of it to try to bring you, bring that sensitivity back. And so you literally become just given over and full, what Paul says, of greed, of insatiable desire. It's like the idea um, in um, Lion, I think it's the Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe, right? Of um, there's this little boy, Edmund, who gets with his brother and his sisters, gets transported into this magical land of Narnia. And Edmund gets deceived by a white witch who uses his hunger. Edmund was hungry. He's a little boy. He's hungry and, and gives him uh, a candy called Turkish delight. And she bewitches it so that the more he eats, the hungrier he gets. And the more he eats of it, the less anything healthy sounds. Right. That is what Paul's talking about. This, it's not just what lust does uh, in robbing the other person of their dignity but it's it's it, it's the it's where it ends up in the absolute callousness of heart that requires increasing amounts uh, to even feel an eighth, a tenth, a sixteenth of what we felt the first time. Yeah, it's that change from desire to need. Yes, and need is something different. I I can't remember who the guest was. I think it was when we had. Um, uh, Celeste Holbrook on, oh, which yes, ruffled some feathers, but I, I think she was the one that was talking about how, um, just really differentiating what that idea of need means and how that's not a, um, I need oxygen to breathe, hmm. I need food sustenance or I will perish. Hmm. But I think that idea, like you're talking about mm. how there's this desire of something that you are that has all those different facets to it but a certain it starts to change into this thing that kind of poisons because it comes a, degra- a, a degraded need yes. that just yes. continually yes. drops and drops and drops and drops that's right and, and to the point that makes where, sense the heart more hardened you get the more that need changes that's right that's right that's right i mean it's like the first time i remember the first time i held my wife's hand Right. You know, it was like electricity and butterflies. Yes. Yes. And now it's different. And and if, 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 you know, if you have a very thin definition of love, then um, you need to go find that butterfly somewhere else right after you've been married for a while. Thick definition of love is, yeah, I don't get the same butterflies. I have something much more profound when I hold my wife's hand. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's evolved and grown rather than degraded into a. Yes. 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 Yeah. I think that's a really important exactly. conversation exactly. because I think that people really in our in our circles, you know, s- struggle with the um doom and gloom that is around lust when you are single or yep. a high school kid when you're yep. all your hormones are going bananas and they're just like no no no. This is wrong <laughs> to feel this way. And then and then it's hard to differentiate that stuff when you get married and it's oh. like it's a red light and then it's a green light and you're just like, wait a second, what? <laughs> I I have I am shocked at the number of people 
over the years as I've done weddings and some marriage counseling, whatever, who have had, who come from very conservative Christian backgrounds, who, who have a hard time sexually because they were yeah. told it was, it was bad. Yes. You can't just turn off that shame button right. because you put a ring on someone's finger. Yes, 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 yes. And it's, I mean, the, yeah. Oh, yeah. Boy, that's a whole separate, that's a whole separate gig right there. The, <laughs> the you know, the, the, the perils of purity culture. Um, but it's so rooted in this stuff, this misunderstanding of um, yeah. just of desire. Like, yeah, yeah. It's so I mean, demonized it's, it's, in our circles that. Totally. So let's say I'm, I come home. I'm hungry. I'm starving. And my neighbor is barbecuing. Right? Is it wrong to go, oh my goodness, that smells incredible. And your mouth starts watering. And physiologically, <laughs> your body prepares itself to eat. Is that wrong? Of no. course not. No, it's not wrong. What would be wrong is if you go grab your 22 or whatever kind of gun. That's the only one I can think of. And, you know, steal their barbecue at gunpoint, right? <laughs> then we've crossed over. But to, no. So, um, although... Or distract I, them and steal the meat. I, I, I have to do... I have to speak against this, though. Um, there, I, I've heard um, some, some Christian men say this about their wives. And, and, and this, is, this is not what we're saying. Hey, you can look at any menu as long as you eat at home. <laughs> so the idea is, well, yeah, sexual desire is fine. So I can just go around and cultivate sexual desire as long as I have sex with my wife. Right. Right. Do you, yeah. is, that the, is that the righteousness Jesus is talking about here? Not even remotely. So on the one hand, we are warring against the shame that, that has been given to us in Christian circles that sexuality is bad and naughty and dirty and shameful. But on the other hand, we're also warring against the cavalier, casual, it's no big thing right. um, attitude, because that's not true either. Something so capable of destruction and so capable of beauty, right, is it's, and the scriptures just talk, all, all, it, all the scriptures do is talk about respecting its power. Right. It's one of the most powerful forces in the universe. Yeah. Um, all right. Now. Let's talk about let's talk about one final implication. So first implication, sexual desire is good. Second implication, lust leads to horrible places. I have tasted those personally, um, and I can I, Paul's description is the best description I've ever heard of anything anywhere about what that feels yeah. like. Um, but then there's a third thing here. Um, Jesus, who is Jesus talking to? Right, we've He's covered still this. That group. He's talking to the big group, yeah. and do you think there were women in that group? Yes, yes, I think so too. So why does he <laughs> just talk about the dudes? Doesn't he know that women lust also? Does is Probably. Jesus? You know, is Jesus just dumb in his human form that he's like, oh yeah, it's this guy issue? No. Come on. <laughs> but Tim Mackey made this point, and I thought it was brilliant. Has there been, I mean, just look at male, female for a second. Just let's go binary for a second. 
and say, okay, is there one gender that has weaponized sex and used it as a means to, vo- to violate, subjugate, and oppress the other gender? For all of time. Yes. It seems like there's one gender that's specifically guilty of that. Right. And, um, and so Jesus here isn't just giving individual moral instructions, right? He's talking about the kind of righteousness that characterizes his kingdom and his kingdom, therefore, has to be a place where women are safe. He removes the double standard and he simply locates it on the man. All this modesty crap uh, and and women shaming, right? That started early. Yeah. That that was even in some Jewish thought. There's one, there's one story. Rabbi Ho- Yose, looks like Jose, Jose. Let's call him. This was this is told in a Babylonian Talmud. Uh, this rabbi um, had a beautiful daughter, and one day he caught a man. Um, digging or drilling a hole in the fence to catch a glimpse of his beautiful daughter. When the rabbi challenged the intruder, um, the intruder said, Master, if I'm not worthy enough to marry her, may I not at least be worthy to catch a glimpse of her? The rabbi then turned to his daughter and exclaimed, You are the source of trouble to mankind. Return to the dust so that men may not sin because of you. Now, this attitude got picked up, obviously, by early Christian writers. So, so here is Tertullian, one of the early church fathers. And he, it's, it's in a tractate called On the Apparel of Women. <laughs> he said he insisted that even natural beauty ought to be obliterated by concealment and neglect, since it is dangerous to those who look at it. Right later on in some some of the rabbinic writings, um, don't talk to women kind. They should cover themselves. I mean, there were all these rules. Then the what the Pharisees did is um, they, some of them, were called bleeding Pharisees because they would be so meticulous about never looking at a woman that they would run themselves into walls by not looking. <laughs> right, and so they would bleed from their head as a badge of honor. I mean, this. Right? This this is twisted. Yeah. And so why does Jesus talk to the men? It's not because he's stupid and he doesn't know women struggle too. It's because his kingdom, if it's going to be full of the poor in spirit and the brokenhearted and the mourning and the meek, has to be safe for women. Yeah. Has to be safe from that objectifying gaze. Has to be safe from the coveting uh, and the abuse of power. Yeah. And so, and so you have this blowing up of this, of, of one of the hangovers of purity culture, this modesty movement. And, and I, and I think, you know, even as we raise a daughter, um, how you dress does say something about you. Fine. But my daughter was telling me she, um, she's on her zoom class and, um, her class was having a discussion about uh, a story where a, uh, a woman was going to cheat on her husband and walked into a bad part of town to do it and got killed. 
And the question was, did she deserve it? Jeez. And um, and there were a, a sizable number of, of people that were saying yes, that because she was going to cheat, she deserved she deserved what came her way. Now, if she was going to get groceries, she didn't deserve it. My sweet daughter chimes in and says, "Okay, so what? How about rape? Let's say uh, let's say I'm drunk at a party and I'm dressed provocatively. Now, she didn't say it this way, but this is what she was right. saying. Do I deserve it?" And some of the boys were saying yes. Wow. Um, the kingdom of God is to be a place where the most immoral, naked, intoxicated person in the history of the world could be putting the moves on every soul and, and out of respect, kindness, gentleness, and dignity, right? This person would be treated um, and kept safe. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's what we're talking about. So when Jesus, when Jesus addresses the men, right, it's not just because lust is a male issue. It's because the kingdom has to be safe for women. Yeah. And there is a double standard that has always existed that somehow the woman is the temptress and the man just isn't responsible. Yep. Um, and, um, and I love that Jesus speaks against that. Nope, absolutely not. The kingdom of God is a place where you should be able, and, and, I, and I, I'm sorry I'm graphic in this, but I, don't, I can't think of a different way to say it. I mean, that you should be able to be passed out naked in front of whoever and not gazed at, stared at, mocked, abused, touched, right? But rather covered, protected, blessed, yeah. right? Now, now yeah. who, who among the dudes in the kingdom can just simply say, hey, oh, oh yeah, we got all that figured out. No, right. right? That's where Jesus is going to talk about our personal sin is a plank and everyone else's sin is a speck of dust, yeah. right? So this, I, I want to beat up on those guys that think it's the girl's fault and I do oppose them and will always. But I also, I mean, this text just drives me back to me. Right. And the recognition that this has been a narcotic as far as I can remember. And um, and there there is simply, and, and the more sexual abuse is put on display in the church and the ways that youth pastors and others, I mean, oh, it, it is, it, it's no wonder the church has nothing to say about sexuality other than don't. Right. Right? Because what would we point to? What would we point to? Yeah. You know, as as an example, as a way we've blessed the world in our understanding of sexuality. I mean, there's just nothing except repentance. Yeah. You know, confession. <clears throat> yeah, those it seems I mean this the I feel like this idea <clears throat> covers a multitude of topics that we don't have time to get into, but um the inability to admit that the structures that have been built and the way that we've been doing things for a long time have been oppressive to other to certain demographics of people and to say i realize that and now we're gonna we're gonna work on shifting gears to mm -hmm. to make it not that way anymore mm -hmm. but instead we just try to push things out of sight or sweep them under the rug or demonize them so much more in a different way that people are too afraid to even confront it 
I know it's very vague, but I think there's a lot of issues that are happening right now that in this country that we're trying to figure out. Yeah, there's a history where we've kind of done things in a in a terrible way, and and now it's time to kind of repent of that and reconcile and to and to become opposite of that. Yeah, and you see that with the church a lot with the sex stuff. It's just yep, because it's like you you pivot from fear of desire and judgment and hell and all this stuff for finding a girl attractive or whatever or acting upon it to going or to coming to the other side of the fence where you're so filled with shame that you can't Mm -hmm. uh, you can't deal with it or reconcile it so it's like these two really extreme things that you teeter-totter on of like I'm too afraid um, and I and I shouldn't even talk about it and I won't talk openly about it to I have done things and now I feel so full of shame that I can't even come back over here to have yeah. a healthy relationship and right. we just like we've set up so many shackles for people sexually it's it's bananas yep yep and it's a conversation I still have all I'm in my 40s and it's still a conversation I have with men all the time that just cannot find peace yeah. In this. Yeah. You know, I, I also think it's important to note, and I don't know if someone needs to hear this or not, but that we are not defined by our shame. It doesn't have to have the last word, as heavy as that may feel. You know? Yeah. I'm curious, too, with the, um, and I don't know, that we don't probably don't have time for this either, but um, in this idea of a skewed, uh, world or in, in Mackey's words, the suboptimal <laughs> lens that God is working through is, is this kind of stuff just tarnished a little bit? Like, is there a, is there a pure version of it or is it just always that we are working to try to not have, does that make sense? Like, mm-hmm. is there a version of any of this stuff or is it just that Jesus is like, Hey guys, you're going to have to work at this at the heart level, anger, lust, coveting. You're going to have to work at this stuff constantly because, because you're, because it's too easy to slip off of either side. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Or is mm-hmm. it just like, you know, there's just no, there's no pure version of yeah, life. Is that accurate Yeah, in the world that we're in? That's a great question. You know, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know. My my temptation is to think that even as Jesus redeems, um, we're still in the shadow lands to use C.S. Right. Lewis's, you know, picture. Yeah. And so that even redeemed sexuality isn't without its foibles and its yeah. its continued struggles. And and I think that's the big lie. One of the big lies that the that maybe the church is put out there is that, you know, give your life to Jesus, follow his way of sexuality, and then bam, it's going to be awesome. Which is the opposite of what Jesus said. Yeah. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Yep. Um, It's going to be a little difficult. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I don't know, man. All I know is that I am healthier than I've been, but that's only because I have people around me that I can now come out of the shadows too. And I went to this place in Tennessee in um, January. I think we've talked about it here. And I was with six other men 
and I've when ne- we were we were together for six and a half days, and um, uh, it was it, initially it was the most intimidating thing I've ever done, uh, and I was I was terrified, and um, and and I thought I didn't belong because I what I had done didn't feel as big as you know some of the things that were going on in the group and um and once i got past that sort of self-righteousness what happened was the kind of safety and confession i have never in my life experienced and it wasn't yeah. a it wasn't a weak sort of like oh yeah this is all okay it was like calling each other out but it was all with with all of our crap on the table yeah you know what i mean i mean and yeah and it was in six and a half days it was one of the most magnificent things i've ever experienced and it wasn't it's not magic but i've never i've just never been anywhere where that and again i mean that's pride because i, I no doubt could benefit from 12-step groups but I'd never taste anything like that. Healing, yeah. my friends, does not become does not come from feeling more shame, and healing does not come from trying harder. Um, I, I did all of that, and uh, you know, it's not quite how it works. And I, I hesitate to talk too much just because I'm still, I'm still, I have right. such a long way to go as a as a guy trying to walk better. Um, and I, and this is where you know I lament not having a a female voice too because the I would imagine well I would know that the female perspective on this is so different from purity culture and modesty culture and all those sorts of things, but I think there is something fitting about because Jesus addressed it to dudes, just two dudes sitting in the shit of it going, mm-hmm. yeah I, I don't I don't want to be like this. We yeah. don't want to be and like then this. actively, actively taking a role and not being like this, and yes. not being magic. That there is an active, that's right, response and role. Even in just like if you are someone who's like, you know, bound by shame or bound by something. Just the the, just how I've I'm such a, an extreme introvert, and I've learned how much I need community and fellowship, and it has seemed counter to. My personality where I'm like, no, I will do the best. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm at my best when I'm by myself. And I have learned that that is Death. not accurate at all. Yeah. <laughs> not yeah. true at all. Yeah. There's a lot of power in community and fellowship and being active and struggling together and being active and pursuing healing together and being active and pursuing truth and realness and who Jesus is and what Jesus is trying to do and there's yep. a lot of power in community and fellowship and in confession with those people and repenting with those people and yeah, living life with people. Yeah. Yep. So there's hope. Absolutely. There's always uh, hope. Yeah. And there's progress. Okay. I said in our meeting yesterday, we had a board meet or uh, I can't remember what it was, but I was teaching on Dr. King's, I have a dream speech in my mm-hmm. class on Tuesday and it's just such a beautiful, I mean, it's just a, such a beautiful speech. And the, almost the entire thing is just a daisy chain of metaphors. It's just, mm. It, mm. as an, from an English perspective, it's just a, a beautiful piece of work. But there's that one, one, he emphasizes mountains a lot and uses scripture to do that. But there's a section where he talks about 
like digging out a a stone of hope from the mountain of despair and it's such mm. a powerful image mm. that I've just it's been hanging on me for the last week um, but I think there's a lot too that there's always hope but sometimes it takes a little bit of digging yeah amen to that and, and then and then for those of us who insist on um, speaking what what Jesus asks of his followers as if that were God's will for everybody um, and, you know, seeking to press that through legislation and, and other means, I, I think it'd be good if a lot of us just shut our mouth and, mm. you know, cleaned our own house and did the hard work. And uh, then maybe, you know, maybe we can help people with specs. But um, my goodness, there, there has n- there's been no area except maybe money and power where we have polluted the witness of Jesus more, you know, as a collective, as a collective, not everybody and not all the churches. And, but man, there's just a, there's a hangover from this stuff. That's brutal right now. Yes. So anyway, and we're not perfect and we don't know all, all of our crap. So be gentle with us. Um, (laughs) (laughs) anyway, friends, um, yeah, we're just going to end it here. So God bless you. And um, I don't even know what to say. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway, till next time, my brothers and sisters. See ya. Thank you for listening to this conversation. The Vox Podcast is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com backslash voxpodcast. You can also engage with the hosts on social media at facebook.com backslash voxpodcast, on Instagram at voxpodcast and on Twitter, at Mike Erie. Thank you for walking this road with us.